0: Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique?
1: Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how.
2: Well, welcome. I am the unstoppable coach, Frankie Picasso, and you are on Mission Unstoppable Radio. I've been gone for a few weeks. I hope you've enjoyed the shows, but I'm back, and I'm raring to go, and I have a fantastic guest for you today. We are going on a mission unstoppable with a mom who turned the tragic loss of her child from a rare form of brain cancer called diffuse intrinsic pontine gliomas, or DIPG for short. Janet Demeter is not only one of the most beautiful, courageous, and determined of women, but she is also one of the most generous. When Janet's son Jack succumbed to his cancer, she was determined to create a positive outcome of such a horrendous experience. And in doing so, Janet founded an organization named after her son called Jack's Angels. Her goal is to raise and keep awareness on DIPG and raise funds with the hope that one day, with the spotlight continually shining bright on this disease, along with her own experiences, that researchers, investors, and pharma will be moved to find solutions for all the children afflicted. Because currently, parents of children uh, with DIPG are told there are no solutions or options. The numbers just aren't great enough for research investors. Well, Janet doesn't want any child to be just a number. Let's meet this incredible woman together to learn more about her, her story, Jack's story, and what we can do to help her cause. Please welcome Janet. Hi, Janet. Welcome to the show. Hi, Frankie. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you. You are just such an extraordinary woman.
3: Uh, where where does your strength come from? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know... Not for me. I honestly, I say that, you know, I think we all have that place inside where we can be touched by that force that sent us here, and I, I give my any credit to my uh, any successes that I've seemingly had to that. Absolutely.
2: You know, it's interesting that you say that because um, I I was in a horrific accident myself. And people always say, how did you get, how did you become unstoppable? How did you get through that? And it it really is. I always say, you know, you just never know what you have until the time comes. You don't know how strong you'll be. People go, oh, I could never do that. You know, they look at you and go, I could never do that. And yet they don't know, do they? They don't know what, what they're able or capable of doing. So let's talk a little bit about. Janet, Janet, growing up, how was it
3: for you? Where did you grow up? I grew up upstate New York in a little town called Binghamton. Okay. Um, I spent most of my childhood there, and um, I have very fond memories of Binghamton. And uh, my parents were are both musicians and educators, so nice. um, we basically um, followed my father's string quartet. <laughs> he, oh, okay. He, he, I was born in Grinnell, Iowa, cause the quartet was uh, in residence at Grinnell college when I was born in 1967. And then uh, I think I don't really remember very much. We were two when I moved to, um, Binghamton, New York, but, um, so I experienced lots of concerts, lots of cocktail parties, <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> um you know, we would go to we go to San Francisco every summer. At, during one point, there was like seven years where every summer we went because they they had um, a conservatory that they did. Oh. Um, but what it, did your mom play? She's a pianist in and a uh, music theory. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that she got her masters in music theory and and has has taught. She just has this gift for teaching children. She loves. Um, uh, folk music. She studied Kodai for many years and oh. um, incorporated all those into her into her teaching, um, which I was I was a very you know I was a lucky recipient. Right.
2: And what like, did you pick up? Which which
3: instrument did you decide to play? Or how I, many? <laughs> I loved to sing. I, you know, for whatever reason, I was kind of. Um, I'm I'm a very shy person originally, anyway. If I'm outgoing now, it's just out of necessity, really, and it's way out of my comfort zone. But (laughs) as a child, I was very shy, and everything was really kind of about my brother. I mean, my parents didn't plan it that way or intend it that way, but that's just the way it was. Um, Everything that we did or chose to do after a certain point in time was really... um, you know, without, again, without intending it that way, that's right. just what it was. And so I felt, I felt, um, I kind of grew up feeling like I, I really was kind of an attaché, just kind of a, a side Part of the package, <laughs> a sideshow, right? <laughs> sideshow that didn't want to be seen. Oh,
2: um, that's, you know, you're the second actor to say that to me. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had someone on a few weeks ago and and she goes, I'm very shy. But you know you love to be center stage, and it's it's a dichotomy that's kind of interesting. The right. so you sing that's your that's your, your instrument your voice.
3: I love singing yes, and nice. I, haven't, I haven't focused on it for a while. But every now and then I pick it up and like what? Why haven't I been doing this? It makes me feel so good. I love singing and I love acting. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty much my, you know, I did that. I did a lot of acting in college and loved it, that sort of thing. I did.
2: went to Wellesley, right? Yeah, Went yes. to Wellesley
3: College? Okay. And oh. was that your major acting? You know, it wasn't. I wish it had been, to be honest. I was, I was one of those people that I had no idea really, I was just terrified before going to school because I felt like I should know what my direction was going to oh, be. Me too. I was had, one of those. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, yeah. I was one that really should have taken a year. You know, mm-hmm. some some mm-hmm. kids shouldn't, you know, they, they just don't want to commit, right? But I, I was one of those that I really ought to, you know, to get more centered. You but know what? I always say that, that college is wasted on the young sometimes. It is. <laughs> It'd be good to go at 30 sometimes. I <laughs> know. I would love to go, but I can't, like, I can't afford it right now. I know. I know. I oh. hear you. And
2: you were an equestrian, too. I did that, too. I loved it. What did you do? Jumping and dressage? What did you do? Yes.
3: I was, uh, I was like the pony hunter, children's hunter uh, girl. I, I did it until I was 15. Uh-huh. I loved it. It was everything to me. And um, I had this horse named Crusader. Oh, was- nice awesome um we did most of our showing though out in the seattle area because our mm-hmm. family moved to seattle and i'm so dating myself every minute here but 1980 we moved out there that was um for my first year of high school oh wow so i well, see so you're first, young you're young know, <laughs> right, whatever um mount st helen's blue actually uh, really yes. when you were there right before we moved so our wow. truck we drove across, you know, I-90 there, across the United States, um, and headed in, when we headed into Washington State, it was, it was just ash, it was ash everywhere, Wow, it was crazy, just nuts, but of course, it's cleaned up a bit since then, but
2: yeah, yeah, my was- brother-in-law has a place up there, and you, direct sight line of Mount St. Helens, and he, and he painted a, um, a picture for us, it's actually in my living room here. Oh wow! So before, before, before it blew, and it was
3: just gorgeous, and it was like too perfect. Isn't
2: that something? Wow! So you have got around the country.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. More places.
2: And you know, I was reading your bio, and it said that you had some health concerns coming up. Can you talk about that?
3: Yes, um, actually, I think it's really important because these kind of health concerns—I had mental health concerns—and they don't get addressed with. same kind of um, seriousness. There's more of a moral, you know, attachment or stigma to them, and it. Mm-hmm. it really ought not be. But um, yeah, I had I had some pretty severe emotional um, disorders. I had I had an eating disorder, which was h- dreadful. You know, I mm-hmm. feel lucky to have survived it. And um, yeah, so I wasn't. You know, this was it. Kind of developed through high school, and um, I really had to fight to make it through college without. Just completely losing it I felt like each semester it got a little harder And my my eating disorder and my depression and anxiety Took like 80% of my mental life So it really, it was hard It was hard to get through And those kind of eating disorders Bulimia especially is terrible Is really hard on your body as well I I spent really my 20s and early 30s um, In and out of hospitals it oh was, wow! It was not great, but um, well, they say to Flicky the smart girls. Wow! Well, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's you know, it's all self feeling about self. You know, there's right. a lot of self hatred and and our our why,
2: what self? Why would you hate yourself? I mean, you look at yourself and you're like <laughs> oh, stunning. So what 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 was going on in your head? It is important it was, to address
3: it. I don't know. I, I think some of it had to do with you know unfortunate things that. You know, ha- it can happen in any family. It's sure. just things that I, the way I reacted to it, I—I I know my parents did the very best they could, and they did. I love my parents very much, but they were both somewhat. Self-involved, you know? yeah. and um, and yeah. everything seemed to revolve around my brother, and right. I didn't have a lot of self-worth as a girl, as a woman. Even though I would hear, the, you know, the lip service was, "Oh, you can do anything. You're so talented," but I never really felt that backup. I never felt guided. Mm-hmm. I felt pretty much on my own. Um, so, you know, it was just that I was kind of a borderline. I felt like a borderline person. So that <laughs> attaché you mentioned. Yeah, it's just taken me a while. It's taken me a long time to grow up. You know, I just... I don't know how to put it any better than that. Yeah,
2: No, I understand that. So I think you said that... Did you say that you got um, married a little bit later in life, or did you have children later? Which was that? Both, Both, both. Okay.
3: And my husband, he was 51 when I met him, and he hadn't been married or had kids either. Wow. And I was see I was 38 when I had Sophie and we got married a couple months after um I had her. So she was a little baby <laughs> and we we had her christened in our um wedding ceremony, which is Oh, was-
0: wow.
2: That's special.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How did
2: you meet your husband? We're going to go to break in a minute, but I just maybe if you can tell us kind of yeah, you met him. Yeah. Real quick,
3: real quick um I met, I met him because, let's see, I met him at a, at a meeting, um, that was for a gathering for people that, um, that are in recovery. Okay. Cause I had several afflictions, mm-hmm. um, that I dealt with, but, um, and he was just, he was a breath of fresh air and, um. A horse brought us together, and I'll tell
2: you about it. Nice. (laughs) Okay. Well, a horse horse is a horse, of course, of course. And why wouldn't he bring you guys together? (laughs) That's it. I love it. Was his name Francis? Um, (coughs) I'm just joking. I just dated myself because if you don't know who Francis is, wow. Okay. Uh (laughs) Do not go anywhere. We are coming back with the amazing Janet Demeter. Stay tuned and stay close. You don't want to miss any of this action.
1: Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages.
4: Stop.
5: It's words you never
0: heard. Got a lead foot? According to state troopers, here's what not to do when you get pulled over. Don't be a lachrymous and start crying right away. It doesn't help. But if you're under 20, crying won't be held against you. Don't ask for a break. Don't yell or start any argy-bargy. And one trooper said, if they're going to flirt with me to get out of a ticket, it would probably insult my intelligence. But unfortunately, I don't get hit on all that often. So flirting or being a gill flirt won't work. Did you know that 15% of all drivers get 76% of all traffic tickets? And the odds of winning if you challenge a traffic ticket in court are one in three. So what should you do when you get pulled over for speeding? Be courteous to the officer, and most of all, be honest. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary
4: with my free app, Too
1: Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond.
4: Not eating before you work out is not the best approach. Low blood sugar can make you feel weak, faint, or tired, and react slower because your mental abilities are affected. You may feel lightheaded or dizzy. But eating too much before your workout is not a good idea either. It can cause you to feel sluggish and have cramping and give you an upset stomach. It can cause your muscles and your digestive system to compete with each other for energy resources. It is best to eat large meals at least three to four hours before working out and small meals two to three hours before exercising. Go by how you feel. Eating a piece of fruit or drinking a sports drink right before you work out works well for many exercisers. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at annettehammond.com. And
2: we're back with... On Mission Unstoppable, I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and we're here with the indomitable Janet Demeter, who I want to just mention once again how brave she is and courageous, you know, to not only um, talk about her own history, which, you know, can be embarrassing for some or uh, (laughs) it, it can, you know, but wow. Good for you to put it out there because you're right. A lot of people suffer with this, and it's good for people to know that, that there's life after, and you can come through it. And you're okay. just showing us in so many ways how unstoppable you are. So good for you. Now, you're oh. going to tell us about Barry and how you met him. Um, there was a horse involved.
3: Yes. Well, wow. <laughs> actually, he had just adopted a Mustang, a wild oh. Mustang. Nice. Um, he was the conversation piece. He was the, you know, the chick magnet for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so we started talking about his horse, and and I lit up because at that point in my life, I hadn't been around horses in years. And mm-hmm. um, so, at any rate, we struck up friendship. He introduced me right away to his friends, and we all started hanging out. And um, not that much later. We decided it would be <laughs> a worthy experiment uh, for us to to cohabitate. So we right. did. <laughs> nice.
2: Yeah. So he was 51 years old and never been married. Why, do you know why?
3: Um, just... you, you know, he told me, I didn't really learn that much about his sister but, uh, until a bit later. But basically, um, I knew that he had been in a couple of relationships that had gone Really wrong. And he spent a number of years in therapy trying to figure out, you know, what am I doing to attract this, you know, Mm -hmm. this and how, what do I do to change and grow? And so he had been for a period of time, although he wasn't still in therapy, he was hesitant, you know, and he was, he had actually gotten the horse in part to help him to open his heart because he really felt like learning how to be with this wild horse and learning how to communicate with him like a horse um, had taught him some things about the heart and to just let go and be open. So he attributes our meeting actually to the horse, the horse brought you together.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I love that. So you you have, um, you talked about Sophie, your daughter who was born and, 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 christened on your wedding day that's exciting
3: yes yeah and And then yeah go
2: ahead sorry no tell us about her no
3: she was just you know the center of my she was a whole new i didn't understand i mean you just don't know until you have a child how amazing it is and what a spiritual experience it is i mean right i i can't really compare it to anything else In life, And it was then that I began to grow a backbone because before then I just didn't understand the reason for it (laughs) because I felt like pretty much a doormat in life at that point. I was just kind of recovering from that. And this, you know, I realized really all I really ever wanted in life was to be loved and to to love, to create a family. And so it was like for the first time in my life, I was happy.
2: I'm so happy for you that that happened. And mm-hmm. what about Jack? Because, you know, I find that, that children um, help you become selfless. Yes. To do it right, right? Yes. Like you really yeah. find that place in yourself that just, you know, you'll give, give, give because of your child and you want them to have. And, and you do need to be a little bit selfless.
3: Well, yeah. I wanted, um, I wanted Sophie to have a sibling. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't want her to be an old, al- I wanted to have more than one. And I know I was starting late, but <laughs> I had her at 38 and then I had Jack when I was, how old was I? 41. Okay. And him and, um, you know, the same thing, just this whole other, I, at first, before I had him, I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to love him as much as I loved Sophie. Um, you know, new moms often don't talk about stuff like that in public it's it's you know it was a concern of mine because I was so well because you saw your in your
2: own family how your brother was a shining star
3: yeah so you know I had him and of course I fell in love with him too and um little boys are like
2: so 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 needy
3: (laughs) my um my one of my best friends at the time um was French and she would call him Le Petit Bonhomme, and we would, yeah. you know, dote over him. And un- unfortunately, six weeks after he was born, there was a huge wildfire, and we lost everything.
2: Yeah, Our- talk about that fire. Where where was that fire in in California?
3: Yes, it was. Oh um, eight was a particularly bad year for wildfires, and mm-hmm. ours was right before the really famous one. It was like a month before the 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 famous one that I actually saw this fire just pouring down the hillside from when i was i was driving him to the hospital because um the doctor said well if his fever's over x amount you take him to the hospital Mm -hmm. anyway which was a nightmare but um so anyway the fire that we were in um it was really scary um i knew I knew um, that it was going to get our house. My husband didn't believe me. But um, he almost, you see, he had gone into the desert that night on an errand for a friend. I didn't even know if he was going to make it back. And at 2 in the morning, here I am nursing in the other room. And he, he comes in, wakes me up, and I hear helicopters. I see a a glow over the ridge and I knew what that meant because oh, wow. it's, it was just waiting forever to burn that area. And, um, cause I hiked back in there and he, he didn't know. Right. He did not see. So Terrifying. we got out, but everything was gone. I mean, we lost everything. Oh
2: my gosh. Yeah. All just- the, just everything. Wow. Everything. where did you go? What did you do? How did you rebuild?
3: <laughs> we, um, you know, we couldn't insure our stuff. I tried like six months, a year before to get insurance. I tried a couple of times, couldn't get anything insured. So we, um, we just, because of where you lived or because of where it was, okay. um, it hadn't burned for 24 years and it was due, so. wow. <laughs> um, talk about prediction. <laughs> I know. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, there was a grant from mom's club that saved me, um, and the people in our community got together and made us like five that put like $5,000 together for us, you know, just little things nice. that would help us um, yeah. build a household. And then Red Cross helped us too. So we got into a place actually that I live right now. Um, so we, we, about 25 miles away. So it was. So Jack, you were uh, taking Jack to the hospital. And yeah. What,
2: what happened? On that day, he was you know, running a fever and...
3: He was fine. He had just gotten... Because we were staying in this um, kind of a studio off the garage of a friend of ours. Um, and the five horses were just across the way that she had. Uh-huh. And it was kind of damp. And he got like a little bronchitis. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I was just worried about him because the fever was high. And um, uh, the doctor said if it went over 101 to or if it hit 101 which it did to take him to the hospital and i think it was a bit extreme like they gave him a spinal tap and everything wow. so it wasn't meningitis but um he was fine um, uh-huh. just had a bad cough and then that went away so so that was the least of our our worries it was just freaky to see a huge fire you know? yeah no kidding
2: so when did you, when did you know you start to notice that he
3: wasn't well well you know there are some pretty vague symptoms for some kids have vague symptoms for a while some don't and it can it can look like any kind of any kind of it can look like a personality thing it can look uh-huh. like the possibility of some kind of borderline um, uh, what is that disease not Tourette's but um, you know that kids have the autism spectrum right
2: right right Asperger's. Uh,
3: I You know, but I knew something was wrong, and I, I had to change pediatrician 's office because they didn 't take me seriously and There was nothing really definitive showing up that was wrong and um, but I noticed then then it was the irritation with things that started to increase for him and and a couple of scary things like he would get terrified of looking up from the shopping cart i mean it was obviously not a behavioral thing he was reacting to something scary that mm-hmm. was scaring mm-hmm. him and and then you know this was all the more intense symptoms were within a few weeks and then he started limping and and holding his so arm. how
2: what, like how what how long a period was this like a year six months like from well, beginning the, to diagnosis maybe, anyway
3: the you know the the onset of the the symptoms that have you take them to the hospital be diagnosed because you know there's something's wrong it's very quick it's very okay. sudden unfortunately, and I hope that um with the the public learning more about brain tumors and ponting glioma, brain tumors are the leading cause of cancer related death in children they're not it's not rare you right. Know? I mean, it's, yeah. Every childhood cancer is marginalized as rare, and therefore doesn't right. receive the funding that it needs for research. But, you know, and DIPG is the second most common one, and it's constantly, you see the tag, very rare, rare, rare brain tumor, where it's a common brain tumor. It's just the, the word rare is used over and over and over again, I think, to a certain extent, to justify the lack of attention for 40 years. Wow. Know. So yeah. it's, a, it's it's been around there's there's about 300 children roughly every year that get it and are told oh they're going to die we have nothing for you because um it's not a worthy enough investment where you know what happened to no child left behind what happened to no man left behind you know it doesn't we're not extending that to our children with cancer and right. so you know if it were
2: Do oh, you think I mean you know, let me ask you the 60 million dollar yeah. question do yeah. you think that there's a cure for cancer
3: it's just a matter of our, our making it a priority. I mean, I, I, it made me really happy to hear about Moonshot until I realized, you know what, it's going to be business as usual when it comes to our kids. Mm-hmm. It, it feels to a certain extent, and I hope I'm wrong, and I may be, but it feels like a political whitewash mm-hmm. of the childhood cancer awareness movement, which has worked. There are people that have worked longer and harder than me to bring it to the forefront of the um, you know collective consciousness, but it's, it's going to take a, a little more fighting. And, um, I, one I'm thing. a little more cynical
2: than you I really feel that there is a cure for cancer oh, And I that there's too. no money in it in, Or you know that they don't want to lose all the money No, 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 um, no, no, no. And, and, These yeah. are
3: greedy, greedy people in power yes. Greedy yes. people in power In the long run, it's a huge win financially Anytime right. there's been a bit, major breakthrough In science, new industry, new jobs Boom, huge But it's just people don't want change Right, yeah you
2: know? We're going to go to break in a minute um, I... I I want to carry on with your story about Jack because it's, it's, you know, we want to make that come alive for people. Um, Just before we go to break, though, there there was a, I don't know, um, I I saw a show the other day, a documentary about these doctors using uh, HIV to cure cancer. And, and they did it in children, and it was absolutely phenomenal uh, and worked really well. <laughs> it was pretty wow. incredible. Yeah. I mean, people are, some people are really trying, and others, you know, like you said, it's, it's just a money game. And um, uh, one person I know, he, he, he said, you know, run from the cure, not run for the cure. <laughs> cause it was like they were running from the cure of cancer because, you know, the money, the dollars just keep coming in. We are going to break. No matter what you think about this, <laughs> which side you're on, Stick around. Come back. We're going to talk more about Jack and children's cancer.
1: Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. will continue right after these messages. Stop. Stop. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
4: There are two types of diabetes, type 1 and type 2. CNN reports that type 2, or adult-onset diabetes, develops over time. Due to low activity levels and a poor diet that causes excess body weight. The Centers for Disease Control states that 26 million Americans have diabetes and they estimate that 79 million people in the United States over the age of 20 have elevated glucose levels or pre-diabetes. Diabetes can lead to kidney failure, blindness, lower limb amputations, heart disease and stroke. The good news is that type 2 diabetes is, for the most part, preventable. Exercise and good, healthy eating is the way to avoid diabetes in your life. Make good food choices and stay physically active. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. It's
5: never
4: A new study
0: finds the happiest couples sleep the closest together, as in less than an inch apart. A survey of 1,000 couples found that 86% of those who kept such close perimeters reported they were satisfied with their relationship. Only 66% of couples who slept 30 inches apart or more reported being completely happy in their marriage. What's the word for getting up on the wrong side of the bed? Metutalipia. Another predictor of relationship happiness is touch. While 94% of couples who made physical contact throughout the night reported a happy relationship, just 68% of couples who kept their distance did the same. What's the word for the semi conscious state between sleep and wakefulness? Hypnopompic. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app Too Funny for Word.
2: And we're back. We're back. This is Mission Unstoppable, and my guest is Janet Demeter. Janet, um, I was researching, you know, about this cancer, and I found a site um, called Noah's Child. And they also, you know, ha- they, they call this the orphan diseases with small patient populations, like we discussed. And and their whole thing is to find, you know, the the financial investment. They want, like yourself, people to um, put money into, into trying to figure out you know, the cause and the cure and, you know, find these new treatments for people. I right. mean, there, there's pockets of, of parents and pockets of people around the world trying to do the same thing. And, you know, it shouldn't have to be you. It shouldn't have to be you. It should be, children should be important enough to, for all of society to say, hey, you know what, we need to put some money towards us and, and help these kids.
3: Well, and also these d- diseases aren't irrelevant, Right. You know, I mean, we're talking. Yeah, the disease population any given year is probably around 300 for DIPG in just in our country, and mm-hmm. that's some of them don't go get diagnosed. You know, either. Um, wow. You know, but but you're talking over decades. You know, that's a lot of people. <laughs> that's a lot of years of life lost. It's like twenty thousand years of life lost each yeah. year. Yeah. And um, so part of what we've Jack's Angels has done. Jack Angels is the organization I started, and it's really. It's been a couple volunteers, and me, I'm a volunteer. Nobody gets paid, you know. But um, we worked with our our congressman. First, my assemblyman, um, Scott Wilk in the California legislature, did a DIPG awareness week for us. And um, this last year, last September, I started working with um, Congressman Steve Knights. He's the 25th District of California um, office to create House Resolution 586, which not only does it designate a week, the fourth week in May, as DIPG Awareness Week, but it's really exemplifying D- DIPG for all childhood cancers as this disease that is marginalized is rare despite its prevalence. It's, um, it's a very stubborn disease, it keeps coming back, it's a very definite frequency. And it calls for more consideration of low survival rate cancers and years of life lost in the NCI research grant process now the nci our national cancer institute has a month or a yearly budget and less than four percent of that targets pediatric research wow and a lot of us don't feel that's really representative of what we the people want so i mean there's no way that i mean the conversation just hasn't been posed before it hasn't been raised before um but we we want more transparency we want. Well, more. look at you. I told you she was determined, folks.
2: Yeah. and she she's also a radio host on TogiNet here. And what's the
3: name of your show, Janet? It's Childhood Cancer Talk Radio.
2: There you go. So if you want to talk to Janet later, you can probably call into her show. <laughs> so what what kind of treatment did Jack get? Did was he on steroids at all? Like did he blow up? Like well,
3: well, brain tumors for one thing. Another thing I'm going to add is that DIPG and pediatric brain tumors in general also represent like two distinct frontiers of our science being accessing that tumor for mm-hmm. the areas in the brain it is in the center of the head basically. And it's, it's the heart. That's why most chemotherapies are, they don't do anything ex- except make the kids sick because it can't even get to the place. Right. It's hard. So in Europe, and here they are doing it some at Cornell, but also at uh, University of Bristol in the UK. They they have this amazing um, technology and delivery system that they're developing, thanks to a few brave young children uh, volunteering for the research. Um, that and then and then there's uh, also uh, the medicine itself. Right, trying to mm-hmm. find the right medicine. But what, what Jack the treatment Jack had was is pretty much standard. Is the way it's been for forty or fifty years. They give them radiation because it helps shrink the tumor temporarily. Mm-hmm. This is the most aggressive cancer. It grows back invariably. They have not um, on record on clinical record. We don't have survivors. Wow. Um, but invariably it grows back. There are some. Uh, Chemos that they've used That may help extend life Slightly but the quality of that Life is debatable Um, Because Jack was frail and the Only options that the doctors Were showing me which I researched Were these horribly toxic chemicals That have been used for decades for other Cancers other organ cancers with Marginal success Um, I decided not to Because he was already so frail and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to give him something that was going to make him sick So we just did um, the radiation treatment, and we did um, whatever natural therapy we could get our hands on, basically, just to keep them as right. healthy as possible and try to fight it. But we did the steroids that's standard. They put them on it right away. Um, it helps to, you know, temporarily shrink the tumor. It's really bad for their health in the lung. Sure. But yeah. for that's one of the only treatment options that we allow. I mean, uh, we have... Right. Some nurses have to go to the Philippines to try to develop um, boswellian because it's very effective in reducing inflammation. But we have yet to see it being used here. It's always this, this steroid dexamethasone, which is yeah, know, not what you get after surgery. It's like <laughs> the right. doses are like insane. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. wow. It, um, they get roid rage, and uh, oh, it was hard for him.
2: So he was. No, you described Jack as as like this really smart he was. Cute little guy. You know, he played the violin, he loved music and he loved numbers and and he was smart as heck. Uh
3: how old, how old, he was 4 years old when he passed. He well he was 3 years and like a month or wow. two when he was diagnosed and then he died a month before his his 4th birthday. So he he lasted the, the median survival time, which is nine months, that's with the radiation treatment. Um, so we, you know, you're just, it's it's a horrible, I mean, it, it's nice you get a little more time thanks to the radiation because at the onset of symptoms, I didn't realize he was very close to death. Wow. It's very close to death. And I didn't realize that really until, of course, the tumor progressed and grew back and we were at the same position. Yet this time we couldn't do, Radiation. They just right. started giving him steroids so that we could take him to Disneyland. You know. Yeah. Just, Tell us about the angels. He was visited oh, by well, angels. Yeah, I. Um, a couple weeks before he died, um, I heard him laughing upstairs, and I and I at that point I was worried because he was starting to lose his balance, and so I always wanted to make sure someone was with him, and mm-hmm. so I just assumed my daughter or my husband was with him, and then. I heard my daughter at the other side of the house and my husband was in his office. I'm like, what's going on? So I ran up there and, of course, I didn't see anyone. Mm-hmm. But he had been in full-blown conversation with somebody and was laughing his head off. And he told me that he had been scared, but there there were two white ghosts that visited him. And um, I called my husband up and he, he questioned him for a while. And it, he, you know said that they had wings and that they, they came to tell him that he, he was going to have to go with them, that he had something important to do. And um, and he told my husband, I don't really want to go, Daddy. But he, he had this kind of quiet, seemingly quiet peacefulness about it. Um, but I was terrified. I was mortified. <laughs> and I sat in that room after they left the room, and I said, not yet. Damn
2: it. <laughs> yeah. Not yet. Of course. Not yet. So wow.
3: we had a couple more weeks with him. What was your belief um
2: you know, system?
3: Did uh, you believe did
2: you were you religious? Did you believe in angels? Did you believe in the afterlife? Spirituality. I,
3: I believe I believe all those things have their definitely have their place. I'm not super religious. I was raised Episcopalian, that's an Anglican mm-hmm. church. And I still that's still close to my heart, but it always had its own symbolic meaning for me. I believe that any religion is really designed to help one come to have their own spiritual experience. And it's mm-hmm. it's always, um, unfortunately, with large groups, oftentimes just this do- dogmatic, you know, fear-mongering power over my way is better than your way thing so much. Right. As- and that's not true of all of course all religious people I mean I look to many religious people as being examples of wow living with purpose and happiness and mm-hmm. a sense of truth um, but I, I believe that no I believe that they were his, They were angels and mm-hmm. that they had, thank God you know, mm-hmm. that he was having a, an experience that would be hopefully seamless at least to a certain extent and um I, I was, not in acceptance of it. It it it, it just took me
2: a while. Took right. me a while I mean, so. like when you think about it now. I mean, okay, when you thought about it then, they're coming to take my child. No way. Um, but at the same time, you knew that he was going to pass on. And yeah. was there any comfort to know that you know that they were here and they're going to look after him and and they made him laugh and and yes. he thought that that was okay.
3: Yes, and um, I, you know the jacks angels was in part i mean i don't ever say this but it wasn't part named for them it was more on a on a realist on a a third three-dimensional plane reality level Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) it Mm -hmm. was
3: named for all those people that just that helped us Mm -hmm. you know there are so many people that came and and helped us and um and so it was just my way making the organization was my way of of giving back to the world really I go was, to- was that something was that new for you what the uh, I've never it, yeah I'd never formed a nonprofit or right run anything I I'd, I'd had very um, I'd had a couple of failures at trying to run any kind of chapter of an organization oh my gosh and I thought <laughs> well why am I trying this <laughs> like well hopefully I learned a few things I don't know um <laughs> but it, you know like i mean his gift to
2: you was was your realization that you can help other people
3: oh, i ha- i know that i have to, i can't stand watching other people go through the same thing and um and not try to do anything about it because i know right from wrong and i know that there are some things that need to change and i know that there are a lot of people who agree and and i just it's no one should ever should ever feel that that their child's life isn't worth saving to our system i mean that's just that's insane i mean right. it, i mean i could see maybe if it were one case in a I don't know. There's never, there's never, there's always, every child is important. There's no number that's, there's no magic number saying, okay, now they're worth putting money. In. I mean, that's. Right. Yeah, to, one more and then we'll put money in. That's,
1: yeah. The money exactly. thing
3: is supposed to be our servant, not our master. And our, our system is to a great extent beholden to it. And that's, that's, that's what we came over in the boat about. Right. You know? <laughs> like, exactly. We need to it, evolve a little bit here.
2: Well, we are going to go to a break, and I think that that's a good place to stop because it is, you know, what is more important? You know, which comes first—the chicken, the egg, the cart, the horse? Who knows? Is it money? You know, is that where our priority should be, or is it saving children? And you know, there's no doubt in my mind where it should be. Stick around. Let us know your thoughts. We'll be right back. Frankie Picasso
1: will continue right after these messages.
0: Stop. stop. Did you ever wonder about the origin of Murphy's Law? You know the maxim that if anything can go wrong, it will. Murphy's Law was named after Captain Edward A. Murphy, an engineer working at Edwards Air Force Base in 1949. Captain Murphy was working on a project designed to measure how much sudden deceleration a human could stand in a crash. After discovering a transducer constructed for the experiment was wired wrong, Murphy squabashed the technician responsible by exclaiming, If there's any way to do it wrong, you will find it. In other words, circumvent mistakes and miscobobbles before they happen. Aerospace manufacturers began quoting Murphy's Law to their engineers, and soon it became an eponym.
5: It's words never heard.
0: I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word.
5: It's words you never heard.
0: If you're like me, you occasionally have a random thought. Okay, if you're like me, you have a lot of random thoughts. Oneiro Critics, professionals who interpret dreams, say random thoughts not only provide meaningful insight into ourselves, but these spontaneous ideas that pop into our heads have an influence on our judgment. And for some of us, these random thoughts provide a little extra self entertainment. For example, when the pharmacist asks me my birthday, I always think he's going to get me a present call me a noodle nut and redunculus but i'm looking forward to a better tomorrow where chickens can cross roads and not have their motives questioned
5: it's words you never heard
0: i'm carolyn davidson and words you never heard has been brought to you by the bariatric surgery center of dallas
2: And we're back. You're listening to Mission Unstoppable Radio. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. My guest is Janet Demeter, and we're speaking about her son, Jack, who uh, passed from a brain um, cancer called DIPG. Just off break, I was. we were talking about um, spirituality and religion, and depending upon you know what your thoughts are, um, those who are spiritual oftentimes believe that there is an afterlife and that there is a before life and in the before life we get to choose we get to choose our parents we choose our experience we choose you know who we 're going to be in, the, in uh, not every experience, but you know what we 're here to learn our learning path and and I said to Janet that Jack must have been a very good friend of hers to volunteer to be her son and leave that early, but leave her with a great gift. And your response was.
3: Yes. Um, you know, uh, there's something I need to tell you about him. You know, when, when he was born and we went through that whole fire, um, which was just crazy, right? Just Mm -hmm. five weeks afterwards. He, I would, we were in this strange place and I get up every morning, he would have the most enormous smile I'd ever seen on anyone's face. And he, he had this way of just making me feel as if everything is going to be just fine. The most important thing is that we're here, as long as we're here together, everything's fine. And he continued to have that, that kind of otherworldly influence on me, mm-hmm. um, we went through a series of difficulties after moving after you know trying to get reestablished and we ended up losing our you know the our friends who were uh not to death but um who were our our children's uh, godparents wow my daughter's name is Sophie Marie hyphenated and my son's hyphenated name is James William and um James for his great grandfather, and then William for the gentleman who was um, a good friend of my husband's. And of course, Sophie was uh, named for a dear friend of mine in college. And then Marie was this lady who was a godmother. And at any rate, so, and the way that all happened was just so painful and awful. And he, but he was there the whole way through with me, just again, kind of and i felt bad i felt like gosh i want to be giving this child better uh feelings <laughs> yeah because it was it was an awful time and then when he died um his his funeral which was we committed his body to ash um that morning when i woke up blasting in my head was what a wonderful world with um louis armstrong right the first time I ever heard that, I was in a treatment center. Remember, I told you in my 20s I was right. in a hospital. Yeah. I was suicidal for years at a time. And I remember when I first heard that song, I was like, yes, that, that's the way it's supposed to be. So that when I heard that song blasting in my head, not from an outer source, but mm-hmm. within, and I felt that feeling, I knew that he had been watching over me all the time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the final issue is or the importance of my life. I mean, I'm trying to get this legislation through and all this other stuff. And I don't even know what I'm doing half the time. I'm just fighting, fighting for these kids to be heard. I wear angel wings with ribbons um, for the children who have died. And I walk on, I go to Capitol Hill that way to my meetings because it's like, damn it, these kids are why I'm here and I might look like a freak. I you know, I'm not cute anymore. (laughs) I'm almost
5: fifteen.
3: So, you know, the angel outfit, whatever. (laughs) It's but it's to prove a point. These kids are dead. They don't have a voice. You know? And and all these their kids literally on death row right now. DIPG is like cancer's death row. Right. right. And look at you, though, Janet. Look at you. You know, the
2: shy girl who doesn't want to get up and speak in front of people, you know, who doesn't want to be seen, who, who had her own problems, is now, you know, the angel for all of these children who are on death row. You are their voice. You are the one fighting the good fight.
3: Well, I hope to be. I hope to help. Well, some- you are.
2: Look at, <laughs> look at your website. Your website, Jack's Angels, Jacks Angels com. Go there, folks. Jack's Angels Foundations with the S's.com.
3: No, no and, S on foundation. Okay. It's, it's either jacksangels.org, which forwards to. There you go. It's even better. Jack's Angels Foundation. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, go there, jacksangelsfoundation.org. Go there and you can read the story, you can read what she's up to, because you're about to put on um, an amazing relay. Oh, yeah, yeah. our
3: relay. Wow. Well, it's, cool. you know, the relay came about. The, 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 what we're trying to benefit is this really cool research project from a new non-profit biotech company called cctdi the children's cancer therapy development institute and i actually had these two gentlemen who founded it on my show um childhood cancer talk radio and i was just so taken with them and their commitment to our kids nice. i mean this the scientific director left a cushy job at university and was a top nci researcher he and, and my friend Jonathan Egan, who's one of our country's best advocates for kids in Washington, um, they founded this company and in their first year had two therapies to submit to the FDA for approval. Whereas in the last 30 years, we've only had two released for kids. Wow. So- so they're, they're on it, and this, this is a DIPG research project that actually is trying to save time for them. And on one microchip, the, and this, the tech has been overseen by a former VP of Intel, um, so, and they're working with the Oregon Institute of Technology Kids as well on it. And this one chip is going to test through through its incredible design the efficacy of 12 different promising medicines and find the right combination of two in a period of three days huh. after insertion. So basically the project we're supporting with the Relay for Jack, which is May 28th at the beautiful Vasquez Rocks in Southern California, I would all say. Um, It's an all-day relay. People can run as or walk as far or short as they want at relayforjack.org. There's more information. But this, this relay is set up so that all the proceeds um, will benefit. This project would need, like, it needs $75,000 to get to the next level. And so. so
2: what's what's the minimum donation? It's just whatever you want, or is there a minimum um, donation? To- I
3: mean, um, people can donate whatever they want um, mm-hmm. If insofar as participation, Um, there's different amounts for Like all kids are like 10 bucks. So the point is to get as many kids together so they can do it and feel like they're helping these kids on death row because they are. And then um, adult can be, if you're under five miles, it's like 30 bucks. If it's under 15 miles or under 50 and to go ultra distance, it's 85. Wow. And we go
2: to your site, jackangelsfoundations.org and, um, we can donate on the site You can sign up on the site
3: Yes well there's a link at um, uh, <clears throat> Go to Relay for Jack And that's all written out The the words Relayforjack.org And that'll take you to um, An information page w- From where you can register You can donate You can do any of those things And also just going to our main site At uh, jacksangels.org Um look at the advocacy page because we are we're we're celebrating a 586 because we're that is um the first ever national dipg awareness week <laughs> although it may Yay. not get all the signatures
2: um by that point
3: um right. that's why it, my
2: my twin's birthday actually is it twin's really twins. yeah Uh yeah. yeah um i want to ask you about uh before before you go because we don't have too much time but um How's your daughter doing? how's are you, you know how's your family doing?
3: Well, you know what, we're very fortunate. Um, my husband and I, I think it's because we got together later in life and kind of knew what we were about pretty solidly at that point. Our marriage is doing well, and my daughter, Sophie, you know what? I gotta say this it's no it's the hardest on the siblings. sure. It's awful for the parents, but to see their parents suffering. And to be suffering themselves and to go through all the survivor guilt or that mm-hmm. you know, when you're a child you're always wondering how you cause things, right? Right. Right. So it's hardest on them and I can't I can't give thanks enough to organizations that are dedicated to helping the siblings. hmm um, um that's I mean there's just not enough grief support for kids. Um we're lucky to have a group in our area and Jack's Angels is looking to help start a play group for kids who have had a major loss like that. Awesome. Yeah,
2: I, I had a, um, a, a girl on not too long ago on my show who who was a play therapist, a grief play therapist, and it sounded amazing. And I, you know, I looked, I looked it up, and I thought, I'd like to do that. That'd be fun. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, I mean, it's not a nice thing, but it would be kind of a, a great job to do to have that and and help these children because you're right; they're not they're the, they're left behind in some ways. You know, yeah. you have to deal with yourself and your loss and yes. and it's difficult to think about you know your other child who's going through that too and and she's worrying about mommy and and you know how can she make mommy happy again and all of those things
3: well and also the period before the death i mean yeah. the the child who's dying gets all the attention right you know it's right. it, there's no easy there's no easy way around any of it and no. so the kids need support more support
2: but you know what you guys you know, like maybe maybe it was your age. I don't know, Janet, but <laughs> no, you know, no, truly. But so many, so many families split up after something like this. I know that, that you have, you really do have um, a lot to teach people, a lot. You know, beyond sure. just raising the money for for this disease, how to get through a you know the death of a child in a family intact. You know, what can your families do to you know? stay together and, and the children that are left behind, what can you do for those children? So I think that there's a lot, you know, that you can incorporate and give to people.
3: I'm hoping, I'm hoping. So, I mean, I, I have had a couple of writing projects in the works Mm -hmm. for a while, but they've been on hold because I've been so busy trying to make all this other stuff happen. But, um, I think people need, just need to be very clear on what's most important to them because until they can do that and be able to share that and decide with another person, whether that, that matches or not, right. It's, it's going to be hell. You know, you got to get really clear and, and unfortunately a death like this uh, makes, makes that happen. It makes you really reevaluate everything. So,
2: right. It's, um, we have we have like just less than a minute on the show, okay. Janet, And first of all, let me thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. Thank you so much for your honesty and your courage to talk about everything out I and mean, openly. It's just amazing. There's 30 <laughs> seconds. For having me. Oh, oh, it really was my pleasure, and thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, if you're listening, you know, please go to Jack's Angels Foundation. please sign up for, you know, giving a little donate in, in helping these children, because uh, not everybody gets to have, you know, a Christmas and not everybody gets to have another birthday and these families need your support. Thank you, Janet. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Stay unstoppable and we'll be back next Tuesday.
1: (gasps) Stories of people who, when the odds were against them, turned defeat into victory. You've been listening to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. See you next time. And always remember, don't,
3: don't, don't, don't stop.